0: the Bible this morning. Let's go to the Word. Um, uh, Acts chapter 4. We're going to read Acts chapter 4. And the title of the message today is uh, it's called the go- Gospel Centered Life. Say that with me. Gospel Centered Life. I'm going to re- read a passage um, here. And, um, and so if you, you, you can read along, I have it on the screen so you can open up your Bibles and follow along. Uh, verse 1 says, While Peter and John were speaking to the people." they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is resurrection of the dead. They arrested them. And since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who had this message, their message believed it. So the number of the men who believed uh, now totaled about 5,000. The next day, when the council of, uh, of the rulers and the elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem, Annas the high priest was there along with Cyphers, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in what name have you done this? Just to pause for a second. This was in response to the guy that was healed at the temple gates in, in just the previous chapter. What had happened after the miracle at, at occurred, this guy was praising God, walking around. And, uh, and, uh, and, and many people started putting faith in Jesus. Many people, Jews, were being converted to Christianity. Uh, and, and somehow, you know how it is. Somehow, the, the ch- story changed. Have you ever been in the middle of a, <laughs> of something that actually took place and it got covered by the media? And then you read it in the newspaper, you're like, uh, there's some truth to this, but it really has been twisted and it's not at all what it was like. How many know that? My first encounter, I think I was about seven or eight years old. We, there was this field near our house, we used to play soccer, we used to play football, real football, you know, in the, in, in the place. And I remember as a kid, so um, um, uh, near our house, there was a little regional airport down there and the, and the planes would actually descend, so thats when they open the wings to right above us uh, to go up to land just a little bit and so this one pilot i don 't know what happened as he was coming down, he ended up landing on our football field, and so it was cool, awesome, you know we all surrounded it. And, you know, the media was there, writing the stories. As a kid, the next morning, you want to get that newspaper, you know, and read the story. And I'm like, ah. I was there. Yes, there was a plane that landed there. <laughs> but the story was kind of twisted. This is kind of what was going on here. And, you know, and so be careful, too, what you read in the news, boy. Be careful what you read in the news. It was an awakening call when I was 7 or 8. I don't remember it was precisely how old I was. But, um... People start saying, you know, that guy over there, he looks like the guy that used to be at the temple. They really look alike. If he had a twin, he'd be one. There are always going to be doubters, friends. So if you're looking in your life, maybe uh, you're depending on people's uh, affirmation. It's like, well, things are not really going on for me unless people actually affirm me. You are going to have a miserable life because no matter what good you do, there are people that are going to find something against it. You'll be walking on water and they'll say, well, that's because he can't swim. So, so this whole story goes on. And they, they completely dispute this miracle. And the guy they, they, they set the guy up. And they say, well, are you really the guy? You know, he called his parents up and, and he blew up and they say, and the guy says, hey, and the parent says, don't ask us anything. The guy's 40 years old. Ask him. He's right here. And he didn't care. At that point, he knows what happened. No matter what the naysayers say. But, but because people believed the miracle, they were threatened by the teaching of the apostles. And so they wanted to put a stop in this. And so they t- started bringing threats uh, to Peter, um, uh, 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 to, the, to the apostles. So this is the story that we are reading here. So verse 8 in the Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So they, w- w- they decide, okay, well, we'll let you out. But quit speaking about this Jesus. It's like I, I saw something in the news this week about a guy that was going in for public office and he's being interviewed. And the, the, literally, the, the people that are interviewing him are wanting him to denounce his faith. They're pulling something he said about his faith in Jesus. And they're saying, you need to denounce that. Like I said, I was speaking as a Christian. And by the way, that's what Christians believe. And they go, "Well, he's not fit for office. So this is exactly what these guys are doing to him. He said, well, you guys do whatever you want to do, but don't speak about this man, Jesus. Uh, Peter stands up, says, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, rulers and elders of our people. Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed? Let's just get this straight. We are here today because we did something good, right? Do you even want to know how this person was healed? So Peter stands up and says, let me tell you clearly, so there's no doubt. Let me state it to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to by the scriptures. In the Psalms it says, the stone which the builder rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is no salvation in no one else. There is no salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Then the members of the council were amazed and when they saw the boldness of uh, of Peter and John, they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. I don't know if you, I, I like how those that, the, 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 that, that story ends. That they saw that they were just ordinary men. See, sometimes we think we have to be extraordinarily gifted in order to do big things. But I, I, I'm going to tell you today, the game changed. After the cross, the game change on the Holy Spirit was given to us. Because God's not looking for special someone, although we are all special. (laughs) God is going to use any ordinary person that is willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the other thing they recognize in this man is that they had been with Jesus. One of the things that is so phenomenal, I love to read about the early church. I think it's absolutely remarkable. The amount of work That they did. I had one, uh, one person say this. That if the early Christians behaved like the nowadays Christians, Christianity would be a dead religion. And I believe him. But these guys got it. And because they got it, that message was passed on. They affected the world. They changed everything. And right now we can hear way on the other side of the planet what all these things were happening. We can worship Jesus, and we can know the reality of who He is. We can we can praise. The Isn't that awesome? I thank God that people did that. Just like we can't forget the freedoms we enjoy, just being able to be free. We know that people paid the price for it. People went before us and paid a lot of. They put they put their lives on the line. Why? Uh, they, they, they were fighting for a greater cause. And we get to enjoy the freedoms we have, the prosperity we enjoy, not because we did anything to deserve it, because others paved the way for us. It's the same way with the message of the gospel. I tell you, people have laid their lives, and people are still laying down their lives for the cause of the gospel. And so I, in my heart, I, and, and, and I absor- I've observed this thing that takes place a long time, in all the years that I've served the Lord, there is a troubling uh, trend that I, I see. And, uh, and, and, I was, and it, honestly, it's an honest prayer of mine. Because I see people coming to Jesus responding to the Lord. They get attached from God. Maybe they haven't gone to church for a long time, or they get meet a friend that introduces them to Jesus. Maybe trouble got them to Jesus. Whatever the case might be, they come, and you see this fire of God in their lives. There's a sense of happiness and joy that only comes with someone that has really met the Lord, someone that has really uh, experienced Jesus. And then you see over just a a period of time, that people, that fire begins to dwindle down, and it dies off. And those people, couple years, sometimes longer, they either one will backslide or two will just start going through the motion. But the fire isn't there. The joy isn't there. The excitement isn't there. I see it happen way too many times. Some you will find that maybe they get a good break. And that good break leads them to like, God, now I'm good. Thanks a lot for all the times you helped me. I can handle this now. Or some, they experience difficulty. And it's challenging for them to continue because they feel like they've been abandoned by God and they can't keep holding on to their faith because they think, oh, well, what's, what's what good is there to serve God when I'm still suffering like the rest? I don't know what the rationale is, but I've seen them on both sides of the spectrum. And some, some they see this and they are convinced with the message and they know it is true, and so they hold on to it because they don't want to lose what they've received. But yet they lose that fire and they just do the right things, but they never see that joy, that fulfillment, um uh, and that excitement about the Lord just dies off. And they could go in for years after years and years. I'm thinking, what, what 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 is the problem? What is the key to it? And I'm gonna tell you, when you look at it, and I and I've studied this and I've observed it uh in both in real life and also examining scriptures and seeing the tendency. What I find common. That I see the early church did not lose is that people who live a gospel-centered life never get to that point. Life goes on. You see, you don't get saved and life ends. And you know all the things of life, business, um, uh, family, relationship, friendship, pleasure, everything that you want to do, education, career, it all happens. But sometimes we take those things and have those things be the center of our lives. And when we have that, that's when you start seeing people reverse. So for example, you know God can help to prosper. How many believe that? He owns everything in the world. The Bible says everything belongs to Him. I believe God can make anybody prosper. In fact, the gospel brings prosperity with it. I know sometimes people use the prosperity gospel as a condescending term and I think it's actually wrong. It's when it's imbalanced that it's wrong. Because God can take you from rags to riches. Only God can. God can take you from sickness to health. God can take you from a bad situation to a very good situation. And so what happens is when our center, let's say it was money for instance, let's pick money on it. When people get a break there and that was what the life center was, then they don't have I need for God anymore because now they are fine. And we misalign our lives. I have found that when people take what's in God's heart, which is the gospel, and have it be the center of their lives as they go on through everything else career, jobs, what, children, life, fun, all of this. But the one true North is the gospel. This message that is called the good news. This message that God actually said, I'm going to go down and experience what you uh, what it's like to be human and suffer for you so that you can experience what it means to be a child of God. This gospel is at the center of God's heart. And when we realign our priorities... And um, let, let our lives be driven by the gospel. I mean, every aspect of, the, of life is driven by the gospel. God has a way of making things work together for us. He has a way of lining things up. He knows about your needs. You know Jesus talked about that. He says, "Do not worry about your life, uh, what you will eat, what you will wear, what you will drink." Uh, he says the Gentiles they obsess over this stuff, but your heavenly Father already knows that you need these things. Uh, but you ought to find yourself seeking the kingdom of God first, and he says all these things will be added to you. So sometimes we seek the things without seeking Him and doing what He's calling. What is the work of the kingdom? It's advancing the gospel. God's heart is crying out for people who do not know Him because God is looking for eternity. He's not just looking for the next few years. We know that our lives here on earth are short. We don't know what our moment. Sorry to hear about your sister. And, and, and we all have been told that that will end. But there is a life that goes on after this. And that's what moves the heart of God. That's what moved Jesus to come. And when we received that message, we, we were very happy. We were very joyful. We were very grateful. We we're very excited and want to tell everybody about Jesus. When we lose that focus, that gospel's focus in our lives, that's when the fire begins to dwindle. The early church, you read through the book of Acts, you will see that pattern go on and on. That when they became believers, they took on themselves, this mission. They took it seriously, what Jesus had told them to do. It's like they it became, it, they didn't take on a new career. They didn't all of us become pastors. I don't think God called everybody to be a pastor. I don't think God called everyone to be apostles. The, God did not call everyone to do all those roles. But he did call us all to win souls and to make disciples. And that's a worthy cause, my friends. And that's why you keep the flames burning at all times. I have had the privilege of uh, meeting many people in my lifetime that have made this their life. And uh, I think sometimes, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I've seen sometimes people are afraid that God might forget about them when they are busy living for others or doing other things. That Well, who's going to take care of me? People that worry about careers or anything like that. Or or whatever the case might be. They are concerned. Maybe they've waited a little bit and they think, oh well, if I don't help myself, who's going to help me? But I tell you, a person that actually puts the Lord's will first. See, life kind of, life is funny, isn't it? We can't figure it all out. I know even great philosophers over the years have tried to figure out what is life here for. Uh, Aristotle, thought it came down to say, well, maybe it's about happiness. Uh, You know, if you find a way to be happy, you know, and so, and he said, these are great minds that are trying to figure out what the the thing is. And you know what what life is about? It's about doing the will of God. Because if you do the will of God, not the will of God for him or her, do the will of God for your life. When you do the will of God, you will find happiness. You won't have to go looking for it. Happiness will come looking for you. I want to kind of point a few things. And I know the passage we read, there are many, many messages there. So I'm not going to even expand on all that. But I want to zero in on a few things, maybe three things today, thoughts. Of what a gospel-centered life represents. Number one, the gospel-centered life is a miraculous life. The gospel-centered life is a miraculous life. The stuff that you see happening here, Peter, John, all these guys were doing miracles. You know why? Because God has attached miracles to the gospel. So listen to this verse, verses I guess, Mark 16. Jesus saying, he said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Now I could go through this signs, it's not the point. My point being is this. We like the signs to follow. We like to see the signs. But the Lord says, no, 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 no. You go and preach the gospel. Then the signs will follow. Because, oh, if I see the sign, if only God will show me something, then I'll be so fired up for God. And I'll be able to do more for Him. Do you know, it is so interesting, you read the book of Acts and see, Oftentimes, many, many times, they're confronted by people, they're preaching, and signs will happen. Even Stephen, he said, signs will happen. But interestingly enough, it wasn't the signs that got people saved. If you read between the lines, you'll find that, oh, and the people believed when they heard the word. Peter, Peter preach, and great signs and wonders happened. But when people heard the word, they responded. So it's not the signs that save them. Again, it's the word of God. It's a proclamation of the gospel that saves the soul. People can see signs and still doubt. But it's the word of God that cuts the heart. Of course, we pick up this story on people that had a tremendous miracle. And they were debating about it. But those who believed their message were saved. See, it's a a proclamation of the gospel. And I tell you, as believers, the Lord's already put it in us. And he's given us a great purpose that transcends everything. He's put you where you are for a reason. Some people wait for this dynamic thing to happen. Oh, well, maybe you are young and you think, well, when I get older, I finish school, and I, I get a nice job, maybe I can serve God. Oh, when I pay off my debt, maybe I'll serve when, when, when I do this. When I get. I will think about all these conditions when it would be better back then. Then I'll start serving God. I will start. And the Lord says, no, it's now. You are exactly where God has you. For a reason, and he wants you to be a messenger of the gospel. And God will use your situation, even right now, to do incredible things. They say, This they perceive these guys to be ordinary men, they want some special kind of people. They were because of the Lord, but they are average Jews like everybody else. But when the Spirit of God comes upon you, they're ordinary people do extraordinary things. Secondly, the gospel life, gospel center life is a victorious life. The gospel center life is a victorious life. Luke 10, I'm going to take you back to the words of Jesus again. He says, I've given you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions and to overcome every power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nothing will harm you. (laughs) I have given you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions and to overcome every power of the enemy. And nothing will harm you. Guess, Jesus speaks these words. Guess what he was doing before he says those words? He took 72 disciples. And he did what I would call a rehearsal before he goes. This was before the resurrection. And he told them, I want you to go to every village. And he sent them two by two. And he goes, go to every village Tell him about the kingdom of God. Tell him that the the kingdom of God is here. He says, he gives them a charge to go and proclaim the gospel. He says, some people will receive you. Some people will turn you away. He says, don't worry. Don't take it personally. When they turn you away, it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it is for them. You wash your hands and move on. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. You just go. But it's in that message that when he's sending them, 72 of them, to go out, and you know some of those uh, disciples were so impressed because they didn't believe it. When they went out, they could not believe that they were praying for people and things were happening. They came back to Jesus, Jesus, you will not believe what happened when we went out there. We were laying hands on people they are getting healed. Demonic possessed people, we are casting out demons and they'll obey us. And Jesus says, don't get us too excited about this. What you should be excited about is that your name is written in the book of life. Again, he's bringing the center, he's bringing the focus back. You know, we could even do church and forget the gospel. We could get good at our music, we could get good at our preaching, we could come up with some really good stuff. We could have the funnest church in town. But if people are not getting saved, we've missed the focus of the message. See what I mean? We can rally. We can rally people. We can do stuff that gets everybody in. We can do it. All... But if people are not getting saved, we missed it. And this is where the Bible says, this is where the Bible says, the power and the victorious Living comes. Why are we victory? Because we do have an enemy who wants to frustrate our lives. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your finances, your relationship, everything about it. And Jesus is saying, I got a promise for you. When you have a gospel-centered life, you can be assured of victory. Oh, that's a pretty bold statement to make. Yeah, it is a bold statement to make. Because you look through the Bible. These guys, they had great times. And they had some sufferings as well. Right now, this is something that got brought brought on on them, that they could have just walked away by saying, you know, what's the point of actually going out and talking to these people? They wouldn't believe us anyway. Just tell them what they want, and we could go on, move move on, and live our lives. Guess what they do? They didn't do that. Peter takes the opportunity, instead of defending himself, and try to justify himself. Peter uses that as a platform to do what? To preach the gospel. Listen to his words. He didn't want to go about Peter. He made it about Jesus. How many times? It's a tendency when you're confronted, when you're in trouble. You want to defend yourself, right? It's not the natural process. He doesn't, he doesn't make it about Peter. He turns it around and he declares the gospel to these people because guess what? They needed to hear the gospel. Verse 10, he says, let me clearly state it to all of you and to all the people because I'm not just addressing you. (laughs) He used his obstacle as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Let me be clear to you because I speak to you guys and I speak to the entire house of Israel. Okay? He says, This guy, this man was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The man you crucified, but God raised him from the dead. For Jesus is the one that the scripture had predicted. And when it said that the builder, the stone that the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So he's bringing back their book, the Old Testament, and he brings it back. He said, and there is salvation is not found in any other name. But in the name of Jesus, you want salvation. He's telling them, point blank, you're not even saved until you proclaim this. Jesus." And these were religious leaders. The audacity to do that. They wanted to shoot him, maybe, probably. But they looked at him and said, wow, the boldness they have. What was that? That was the Holy Spirit in them. Uh, you know, so the, the, the Bible says that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we shall have power To be witnesses. And he had an opportunity right there. And the Holy Spirit gave him the words to say. I believe Peter had not rehearsed anything here. The Lord says that I will give you the words to say. I will provide what you need. You go. Why was this so powerful? Because in the message of the gospel, that's where the power of God is. See, another scripture says this. Paul, he says, I am not ashamed. I will not be ashamed. Of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation. So when we are not proclaiming that, how we, are re- we are diminishing the power. We are losing the power. Oh, is that controversial? No, it's not. The Bible, Paul says, for fear that I will not diminish the power of the gospel. He says that. Why? Because he says, I purport to know nothing among you. This is a very smart guy. He was well accomplished even before he was a believer. He was a scholar and a very respected person. But he comes to his conclusion and says, Hey, I proclaim, I purport to know nothing among you except Christ and him being crucified. He says, if I know nothing else, I'm getting one thing right. The center of the gospel is what I'm all about. Forget everything else. That. Another verse, I had it up there on the screen probably um, uh, at the beginning, but I'll read it. Acts 20:24. 20, this is Paul. It says, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for the finishing the work, for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. What's that work? This is the work of telling others the good news about this wonderful grace of God. Again, this is at the end of the day, the sum total of my life, no matter what I do. If I don't achieve this goal of telling people the good news, what's the good news? It's the gospel about the wonderful grace of God, then my life has no meaning at all. We've seen people of great achievement in our time throughout history and even town. People that have built lasting companies. People that we can learn a lot of things from. People that have made a lot of money, conquered battles. They've done all sorts of things. They've achieved greatness. It says that at the end of the day, when you sum up their life, if they miss this point in their lives, their life was meaningless. That's a powerful statement. And guess what? God will take the gospel. Because sometimes we want to make the gospel thinking, oh, I'm going to wait till I really learn a lot. God purposely made the gospel one of the simplest messages on earth. Why? Because even the simple and even little children can articulate it and they can receive it. In fact, it says you should look at little children because they get it. Because we take all our intelligence and all of our education and all of our learning and we try to, we complicate things. Because it's gotta be more than that. And God says, no, it's not more than that. It is exactly that. And in that, there is the power of God. His heart is crying for the lost souls. He would die for the lost souls. He died. Uh, Pastor Chris was praying, he says, the Lord, even while we were still sinners, you, you died for us. And the last thing I want to say, that the, uh, the gospel, centered life is a prosperous Life. The gospel-centered life is a prosperous life. Philippians four nineteen has become one of those favorite scriptures that many believers can have it memorized. Maybe they might not know where it's at, but they know it. That my God shall supply. or oh, help me, our church, all according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What a strong, comforting, encouraging scripture. When you're really needing something and you can't see the light of day, you can remind yourself, you know what, God? I know my God will supply all my needs according to my riches. and glory. It's a good, powerful scripture to stand upon. How many have used it in prayer? How many have stood on it? I have many, many, many times. You know, I can't lift my hands enough times because I've used the scripture many times. But you know, that promise was given. When Paul was actually returning a thank you to a church that was absolutely generous, they recognized what the, the, what, the work that Paul was doing, his missionary work. And as they minister to other churches, some places were richer than others. And he says, no church has given to me more than this church. And, and, you, and you don't even look for credit. But I tell you, God already knows. He keeps good books. He knows when you give sacrificially. And he says, I promise this, that I know God knows you. And my God, who you've been giving to, who you've been so keen on this message of the gospel, making sure that you're putting your resources for the advancement of the gospel. He says, this God of mine will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches by Christ Jesus. It's a promise that's directly related to giving towards the gospel. Miracles that we read in the Uh, that Jesus uh, attached. He says, you shall lay your hands on the sick and they'll recover. All of those miracles are directly attached to the sending off of people preaching the gospel. When you leave, when you make the gospel the center of your life, God will start making things work for you. I was starting to say earlier, That have had the privilege of uh, getting close to people that have seen this play out in their lives. People that are younger, people that are older, and and seen generations of people. Uh, uh, Let me pick on one. Uh, Pastor Paul Stan, that would be my wife's uh, grandparents. Paul and Eleanor Stan. At 20 years old, when um, he takes his wife clear out to Kenya, back in the late 40s, Newlywed, you know, right when everybody is trying to get on their career, getting on what college and getting on what school or starting up to climb the ladder. They go, this is when commercial flying was very expensive. They went on a boat all across the Atlantic, then the Indian Ocean, up north to the Indian Ocean. They went in the city. They they were out in the punis where Jesus had not been preached. And I'm when I, and I, and I want to look at, at his life, you know, and I got to know him um, for a good part of my life. You know, some, for some, at that point, all they knew is that that was God's will for them. And they spent a few years investing in the people of the Kuria people out in Western Kenya. They will come back to the States. They will come and do more ministry. They'll serve in the church. They'll start serve other churches. Um, uh, and then they'll go to Nigeria. And they spent 10 years there raising their kids. During the Civil War, the Biafran B- B- War, and they would pray, God, do we, the big companies would go um, and close. BP, all the oil companies would close because they felt like it was no longer safe for their employees to work anymore. All the international companies were closing down and sending their people home. And they had their, their little kids there. And they would ask the Lord time and time again, is it now? Do we go home? Are we being stupid? Should we just go? You know, God says, no, 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 you're safest you are the safest at, at my will. You know, you could be in the middle of Afghanistan and be safer than in Lincoln, Nebraska if you're in God's will. All they did is that they lived their life for the gospel. And you know, a lot of people think, oh, maybe you're going to lose out. And, and it's nice to see people that have walked that and to see them in their later days and think they never lost out on anything. They want worse off, even financially, than people that work their career all uh, and build big fortune. You know why? Because God watches over his people. When you do his will, he will watch over you. When you take care of his house, he takes care of you. Another family that I've come to know very close will be Pastor Rick Seward, who will be here in October. It's going to be phenomenal. I tell you, uh, modern day apostle. uh, There's not enough books to cover all the ministry that this guy has done. He's very humble. But you know, his grandparents and his parents, man, these guys went out in the communist China back in the days. and 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 he can tell you story after story and you just see how God continues to bless him through the generations. What am I trying to tell you? is that if you haven't aligned your life and make a gospel the priority, sharing the message of the, uh, that is the closest to God, there are a couple of things you're, you're, you're losing in your Christian walk. One, you're compromising on your joy as a believer. Because your joy is full when you're leading people to Christ. There are many ways to lead people to Christ. By your life, by inviting them, by praying for them. But, There is a joy that God deposits. There is a fire that God puts in you when you're seeing people saved. Once you start living for yourself and you forget about the lost soul, things start getting stale. And you might know the Bible left and right, but there is that fire that you lose. The fire of new life. The fire that good new life comes, brings. Does it bring work? Oh, you bet it does. I ask a few parents, I see little ones, ask, ask me how my night was. But you know, those little ones, there's a lot more work, there's they a lot more dependent. But at the same time, they bring a joy that you can't find anywhere. You. you can't even buy. How many are parents and they can say amen? And you hate it how fast they grow. But that's the same kind of life that God allows us to share in his joy when he sees the loss coming to him. And when we play a part in that, God shares a portion of that joy with us. And it keeps our lives on fire. I tell you, looking at Brother Paul, even on his dying bed, He was leading people to Jesus. At His dying bed, He knew that He's living. But He's still talking to the people at the hospital. Have you given your life to Jesus? Yes. Oh boy. You know, talking to neighbors about the, He says, you gotta get yourself plugged into the Lord. And He says, I have no regrets. It is the most fulfilling thing in your life. Say, Pastor Sol, thanks a lot for telling me this. Now what am I going to do with this information? Right? How many are thinking that? I'm going to give you a couple of things, okay? A couple of very simple things that every one of us can do. Don't wait for the perfect moment. The sun, the moon, the stars to line up perfectly. Perfectly. Wait till your bank account is full so you can start giving. No, 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 no. Don't wait for that. The first thing you need to do is be with Jesus. Say that. <laughs> you need to spend time with Jesus. See, they looked at this man and they say, one thing they perceived of him, One, they were not very skilled. They were not educated. They didn't get any special training. But they perceive that these men had been with Jesus. When we spend time with Jesus, our world around us notices. Even if they don't know how to translate it. Because the Bible says that the carnal mind cannot understand the spiritual mind. So don't expect them to know, well, that's according to Exodus Uh, 33.5. No, they don't know any of that. But there's something about a person that's spending time with Jesus that helps you help the situation around you. The atmosphere changes just a little bit because someone, a guy or a girl that's been spending time with Jesus, that's been with Jesus, brings to the table. You could spend, you ta- spend time with Jesus and you ask. There are several prayers that you see through the book of Acts. I cannot quote, cite, cite them all. But one of the heart of their messages, a few times they will stand together, some prayers that were recorded. One of the things that they would ask the Lord, they'll ask the Lord that God, you would help us. Help us to be more bold, to be bold in speaking the gospel. They'll pray that God will help them. So you can spend time with Jesus. And first of all, if you haven't had that excitement about winning souls, ask the Lord, God, soften my heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me the spirit. Give me a passion for the lost. Help me to feel it. Because sometimes you don't feel it. There are times I don't feel it at all. But guess what? It's okay to ask Jesus to help you feel it. Guess what? He can do it. God, I feel dry. I feel stale. You're going to have to help me. Because this word says that he will take our stony heart and he'll give us a heart of flesh. I believe that your word, that you prophesied to Jeremiah. God, give me a heart of flesh. Let my heart be softened for the lost. A couple of weeks ago, the law confronted something in my heart that I never knew was in there. Growing up in Kenya, we were surrounded. Kenya, for the most part, for, for the longest time as a kid, was a very safe country, but we were surrounded by war. Somalia to the east, northeast, Ethiopia to the north, Sudan to the northwest, Uganda, you know, the last king of where you all over the, the Congo, just a few down. And we're surrounded by one. So Kenya is a refugee pool. In fact, it's the biggest refugee camp is in northern Kenya. Um, the, all of northern Kenya is full of refugees. And uh, and, and the thing is, um, one one camp has half a million Somalis. But when the Somalis started coming to Kenya, um, um, between the people just needing help, there were also terrorists from Al-Shabaab that kind of, seep through 1998 i was in nairobi kenya when uh, the uh, u.s embassy was being attacked i was just on my way to the bank building right next to it we missed it like this and it was completely god's providence because we were delayed by something that we weren't expecting and we just came in 10 minutes after and uh, it had just happened i would have been there and i didn't realize that i had some resentment towards the somali refugees Because we started getting a lot of terrorist attacks in Kenya. The mall that was bombed a couple years ago, my my office building that I worked with before I moved to Lincoln was right next to that mall. Place I used to walk all the time. You know, the college that was, um, college students in northern Kenya. And I was all, and I realized inside of me there was this resentment about that. Isn't that funny? I didn't even think I did. I still I started watching a documentary about the sufferings that are going on in Somalia, and the Lord really convicted my heart. I said, "You've never really prayed. I've prayed for Somalis to come to Jesus, but not with that compassion." Because I was "Oh, they brought all their terrorists, and they bombed all the time, and I was a little close." But Satan wants to destroy the people there. You see, God's heart cries out for those people. I say, God, you know, and God showed me that, oh boy, I need to start praying with a heart of compassion. Not just for safety, but with a heart of compassion. Because God's heart is moved by that. I promise you, prior to two weeks ago, when the Lord dropped that in my heart, I never thought for a little bit that I had that inside of me. Are you with me? So we could ask the Lord to soften our hearts. For the Lord to help us to love the unlovable, to be concerned to those that are so strangely different than us. That it's not even a joke. God help me see them the way you see them. Secondly, on the prayer side, being with Jesus is praying for them. Praying for you, praying for them. Are you praying for non believers? If the Lord answered every prayer you prayed last week, would there be any new believer in the kingdom? Good question. If none, we're not praying for non-believers. And we can't see non-believers come to Christ unless we're praying for them. And my second thing that we could do, you need to be a deliberate an intentional giver for the purpose of the gospel. Give your time, give your money, give your energy purposely for things that advance the movement of the gospel. Make your energy, make your money, make your time count. Because we can use, we only have so much time. But how much time are we giving for the purpose of the gospel? I don't want to give a very weighty message But I want us to challenge us to think about these things. Because when we do, we're going to start seeing the miraculous life in our life. We're going to see victories that we've never seen before. We're going to see prosperity that you've never seen before. Because God takes care of you. Seek ye first, again I say, the kingdom. And all these things that we hope for, the Bible says, will be added to you. How many are ready to live a gospel center life? At least take a time today. Amen. I want us to pray. Stand up. Stand up. Let's pray. Because this, this is the heart of God. And if you haven't prayed for an unbeliever, pray for one today, even during worship here. Pray for somebody. Make a list. Do something practical. Make a list of people you pray for. As I close with a story before I pray, remember, and I've said this story before, we're like 16, 17, 18 years old. Kids that are on fire for Jesus. I know one of my friends, Deacons, I know my, brother, my brother will tell you. We were so on fire for God when we were praying for all our friends. All our friends that we know. We knew what they were up to. We knew what they, their lives were. We made a list of every kid in the neighborhood. And we'll come and meet and start praying for them. And we know what the trouble is. some of them were in. And we prayed against the demonic spirits that hold them back. And we'll just believe God, you know. And one by one, we'll cross someone's name. Someone's name off. And throughout that whole neighborhood, a bunch of kids in their mid-teens, late-teens, early-twenties were getting saved left and right. I'm telling you, 30-some kids were getting saved. We have all these small groups going on. The Parents are saying, looking at the, it's like, wow, look at those kids. Our parents came to Christ because of the life that was being transformed. They are they, watching the kids, and they know that there's something real going on here. So if you're a young person, don't think, wait, I'm going to wait. God wants to use you right now. If you're a teenager, God wants to use you right now. And you can do mighty things. Father, we thank you. Come on, let's stretch our hands. If you want just the Lord to touch you, if the Lord's convicting you in these areas, wanting to just do something in your life, this is exactly what's at the center of his heart. And just say, Lord, just stretch your hand and just begin to receive. I believe right now. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your love, your amazing grace, oh God. Father, you came down, you became one of us to prove to us that you love us. As it said in Romans, that you demonstrated your love towards us in that while we were still sinners, you died. You died for us. You didn't wait for us to be perfect. You didn't wait for us to straighten things out, to clean up. Lord, you said, just as we are, you took us. And you've given us your Holy Spirit, God. Father, we confess today that sometimes we get distracted by life, jobs, opportunities, fun, all sorts of things that are not bad in themselves, Lord. But we, we, we mistrack, Lord. And we ask you to forgive us, God. We ask today that you soften our hearts. For what softens you, Lord. You break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord. That you fill us with your spirit, that you energize in us, oh God. The fire of God that comes by the impartation of your spirit. I ask, Holy Spirit, move right now. You know every heart here. You know us by name. You call us by name. And I ask, Lord, I can't take every prayer request, but God, every prayer is before you now, Lord. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you touch us, you soften us, you fill us with your spirit afresh. We know it's not by might, it is not by power, it is by your spirit, God. You put in us your spirit. We want to live this miraculous life, a life of victory, oh God. Oh, a life of prosperity, God. We know that you are a faithful God and more than able. And I just pray in the name of Jesus right now as you're touching hearts, Lord, Let this be that moment, oh God, that we are propelled into a new level of destiny as we take the gospel for what it is. Help us this week to touch someone with the gospel, with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Give us opportunities as we ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Come on, if you receive it. Oh, just begin to tell him. Oh, begin to shout as if it's already done. Because it is.